Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey, everybody, it's the Bauer and Rose Show, the Bauer and Rose podcast brought to you by JustTheNews.com. Our friends there, John Solomon, also Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. Uh, we're on every week. You can catch us wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Hit the subscribe button. And what else, yeah, Tom, what uh, else are we I, supposed to do? I keep forgetting. I should have I, this I, written down. I know. You do, you do have to have it written down. Um, this is this is from the guy who still has a Betamax and it doesn't work. Yeah, I, I uh, it's now an antique and I checked it on eBay the other day. Uh, I'm going to put one of our grandchildren through college <laughs> on uh, the Betamax. It's the last Betamax in America. <laughs> and, uh, I have it in its original box because I couldn't figure out how to open the box. Well, hey, you know, John Solomon and just the news, Tom. Uh, just to do a shameless promotion of him and just well, after all that he's paying you, I would hope you'd give him some favorable. Link. <laughs> In spite of that, um, I mean, they they really break a lot oh, of yeah. things long before anybody else has it. So kudos to you, John, and to just the news. Uh, w- we have, a, we have a situation in America where so many media outlets are just the propaganda. That's all know? it is. That's all yeah. it is. It, it's actually. Uh, Extraordinary. It really is. There were stories last week, and unfortunately, uh, we've only got a couple of podcasts. I mean, I feel like we need to do at least seven or eight podcasts a day just to stay current. I mean, there is stuff every single hour that we could transform into uh, some kind of platform for Bauer's blood pressure to go through the roof. But fortunately... You, namely our, our loyal listeners, uh, don't have the patience or the inclination to listen to Bauer seven or eight times a day. Well, yeah, plus absence makes the heart grow fonder. I mean, I think uh, after we've totally discombobulated people with a 45-minute to an hour discussion, it takes them a week, Tom, I think, to recover before they're ready to come <laughs> back and be punished some more. It's like my dog, you know, when I... We we got a new rescue dog, and when I yell at the dog, uh, it slinks away, and it and it it takes her a couple of hours before she's willing to, you know, come. The dog the dog obviously hasn't learned that Bauer's bark is much. What's the expression? Larger than the bite, bigger than the bite, something like that. But yeah. Bauer's like one of those little dogs that never shuts up, just bah, 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 the whole time, thinking it's like a Doberman or. You know, some Wait, huge my dog or your dog? <laughs> Yours. No, you. You know, I'm talking about you. I'm anthropomorph oh, I'm oh. anthropomorph. All right, let's get to news. Yeah. Shall we get yeah, to news? Just watch your step because the new dog we got is a German shepherd. <laughs> I'll watch you, I'll you watch my a, I'll watch my step. have a mixed and complicated history with that. <laughs> Actually we use them now to great effect in Israel. That's true. Very very great, great effect. Dogs. Arabs Arabs hate dogs. Palestinians they hate dogs. 
I mean, yeah. yes, that's a generalization, and yes, we're going to get slammed and called racist and anti and Islamophobes. But they don't. The dogs are unclean to Muslims, and um, Israelis use them to great effect. Anyway, can we get to some news finally, Bauer? Are you done babbling here? I think this might be the highlight of the show. <laughs> well, that's. <laughs> Let's let's I want to talk about the debt ceiling thing because we haven't really focused on it. The whole thing is rubbish. All this fear mongering about a debt crisis is the claim that if the government can't borrow more money, it won't be able to pay the interest on its debt. The government this month will collect seven hundred billion dollars. Okay? That's more than enough to pay interest for the entire year on the debt. It'll be enough to pay Social Security benefits, Medicare, Medicaid, welfare, food stamps, checks. Um there'll be enough money even for Joe Biden's electric car subsidies. This year the government's gonna collect just under five trillion dollars. So the whole thing is a farce played by Democrats and you have to give them some leeway here because um I think there is um, the Dem thinking on this wasn't totally nuts. All right. They bet that the Republicans would fold. That's a pretty good bet. They bet that McCarthy could never get a uh, majority to pass a debt ceiling bill. Another pretty good bet. It went bad because Kevin McCarthy did do that. I think, by the way, he's surprising a lot of people. Um, And the Democrats bet, and I think it's still an ongoing bet, that once a debt ceiling bill that they never thought would pass in the first place got to the Senate that Mitch McConnell would cave. Another pretty good bet. But so far they've been wrong. Mike Lee, the senator from Utah, got 43 senators to sign a letter supporting the House bill, which gets them over the filibuster hurdle. And what a lot of people miss is that, Gary, um, we've already raised, the Republicans have already raised the debt ceiling. Schumer won't bring it up for a vote. Um, we just want some cuts, bringing it back down to the medieval spending levels, the medieval, the, the Middle Ages spending levels of 2021. That's our demand, is that we pare back the government. We prune it back to the time when there virtually was no government back in uh, 2021. Um, we just want some cuts. But Democrats are insisting that every single dollar in their $7 trillion budget proposal be covered no matter what. And I want to get into the 14th Amendment. Well, I I almost slipped there and called it something I shouldn't have on the radio. Uh, The 14th Amendment garbage argument. But uh, first, uh, seven, eight, nine-minute monologue you want to uh, to throw at us? Were you talking to me? I I couldn't (laughs) tell if I was included in this. uh, So, uh, uh, well, look, Tom, I mean, the the Biden White House bet on this was actually a a good bet if you just look at history. Because um, I remember a meeting of conservative leaders, my gosh, it must have been 10 years ago, and one of the really good guys came and uh, spoke and told us about how uh, they were going to, you know, dig in, not pass the debt ceiling raise unless they got this and they got that. And, um, and everybody's applauding, and then he opened it up for questions. And, uh, and I said, um, I raised my hand and he called on me and I said to Congressman, I, I just want to, I just want to know what your end game is. He goes, what do you mean? I go, well, after you refuse to pass the debt ceiling, unless you get these conceptions, how are you going to keep all the Republicans in line when the national parks all get shut down? When there's articles on the front page of every newspaper saying your social security check may not arrive? 
when uh, the, they closed the World War II Memorial, uh, the Lincoln Memorial. Uh, there's stories about how uh, people... These are outdoor memorials, by the way. I don't mean to interject. They're right. outdoor mem- uh, memorials that are o- on open plazas. They actually had to deploy... What do they call those things? Bollards? Uh, spend yeah, they, they, money. In, in, right. <laughs> well, these are the same monuments they closed down during COVID, Tom. So, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter that they're outdoor monuments and getting, you know, getting sick or getting financially healthy, uh, whatever it is, uh, you know, they, they do whatever they have to do for drama. And they've got this this media complex that multiplies it all, fear mongers and all the rest of it. And uh, he he didn't have uh, he couldn't describe, uh, uh, you know, uh, how, how they were going to carry this to the end. So we'll we'll see. Everybody's focused, Tom, on the. Uh, the what the media and the White House calls the MAGA Republicans, you know, the uh, 15 or 20 guys and ladies that are you know really pushing McCarthy uh, to get everything that, that they can from him through all of this. But I wonder if some point uh, what we are asking for from the White House, if it results in a government shutdown, uh, I wonder if our problem ends up being uh, the four or five new Republicans that got elected from New York State, shocking everybody. And, and all of them are in districts that are not normally Republican districts. And, the, and those members are going to be worried that by signing on to this and having this hung on them, they're going to end up losing their seats next November. So I, I'm more optimistic than I've been in a long time. And, I, and by the way, the polling, unlike ever in recent history, supports us. You've got um, you've got 19 percent of the public saying pass the debt ceiling increase with nothing attached. You've got 16% of the public saying, don't pass the debt ceiling raise, even if you get budget cuts. And then you've got about 65% of the public saying, pass the debt ceiling raise, but only if there are attached budget cuts. That is a much different playing field than we've ever had in the past. I mean, this is all the Democrat strategy. Well, their tactics are one thing. Their strategy is pretty clear and very, very consistent. They want to increase dependency on government. They want to expand the power of government. They want to basically make it impossible to ever impose any spending cuts. There's no better way to do that than through this income redistribution that they use. Take away as much money as you can uh, from people as possible, then give it back to them in the form of a benefit. The latest... And the media just falls into line. I mean, these guys literally give Pravda and Asvestia, uh, I wouldn't say a run for their money. They're as good as uh, propagandists as the former you know, Soviet news agencies were. Yep. The latest argument is that the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which was written after the Civil War to make sure that members of Congress from southern states could not refuse to repay the civil war debts incurred by their states when they tried to rip our country apart. If all public debts are beyond question, if there's no doubt about any public debt, um, that these people now argue that any artificial cap on federal spending can't stand. Mark Levin made a great 
asked a great question on Sunday night on his uh, uh, F-X show. I don't want to mention the name of the network now because I'm upset at them. But um, uh, Obama twice considered this, opted against it. And as, as Levin says, if the Constitution divides, um, gives the power to the president to override any congressional action on spending, why has it never been used before? The answer, of course, is because the president doesn't have that power, doesn't have that authority. The president's never had it. This is all just another democratic assault um, against the Constitution, designed, as always, uh, to wrap themselves in the Constitution in order to weaken or destroy it. This is called twisting the Constitution to meet their immediate needs for the day. Um, They've been doing this for decades, Tom. Usually the Supreme Court did the the dirty work for them over the decades. That's why they're so angry at the Supreme Court now, because they can't count on it. But the Supreme Court all through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, into this uh, century served as a sitting constitutional convention, uh, you know, ignoring things clearly in the Constitution and making up things that were not in the Constitution. And, and by doing that, uh, changing America, because the stuff the Supreme Court was doing, there is no way an elected Congress would ever be able to get enough votes to pass, right? So, uh, I, you know, it's funny because I remember during the Trump administration, when Trump desperately wanted to finish the wall on the border. And uh, he tried to reprogram some funds from the Pentagon uh, for that purpose. And that made all the sense in the world to me. I mean, if you can't defend your borders, what's your defense department for, right? So he tried to do that. And of course, they went into the courts right away and filed suits and the Pentagon objected. And, uh, but the left's mantra was, uh, somebody needs to, uh, remind Trump he's president, not king. Well, somebody needs to remind Biden who regularly is doing this sort of stuff. He has no authority, for example, to unilaterally, uh, forgive student debt. Uh, but he, he tried to do it and he's gotten his head handed to him a couple of times. Uh, he would love, I think, to legalize all these millions of migrants that have, uh, walked into the country, not only legalize them, make them citizens and invite them to their local Democrat party meeting to get the ball rolling. Uh, and now there's this ludicrous thing that even, um, mellow Janet Yellen, uh, is saying, I don't think that's permitted under the Constitution, actually. So they've got a knockdown fight. Now, I would normally say that if Yellen got in a fight with a man, uh, she's, you know, a little shriveled up lady, she would lose. But I don't that know. Was that, that was Gary Bauer, by the way, the little shriveled oh, no, up lady I mean, comment. Really, I mean, how old is Yellen? She's uh, very, you know. I think I mean, she's Joe Biden's older sister, isn't she? Well, may, maybe so. But I, I, I think it's an even bet that if they got in a ring, uh, who would pin the other one for the 10 count? <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a vision, right? Oh, if I only had some AI available, I could put that right up in the media, right? And by the way, did you hear what happened uh, yesterday morning? It actually caused about a 
a four minute, pretty significant decline in the stock market. Somebody put up an image of a, a bombing at the Pentagon that was done with artificial intelligence. It wasn't true, uh, but it went out there and uh, there's all kinds of, you know, a lot of the trading on the stock market, Tom, is being done automatically by computers sure. that have been programmed. If you hear this, if you see this word, if the computer sees this word in the media, sell, sell. So, you know, uh, nuclear explosion would be one of those words, you know. So um, uh, I, I know we. I'm leaving your boring economic subject. I think we've said everything we can probably, you know, two-thirds of our vast audiences going back to sleep. I mean, all this debt stuff and so forth. But it is extremely important. Um Tom, I, so the market did decline and recovered uh, very quickly. But this is going to, you know, we see how social media was manipulated to hurt us and to hurt Donald Trump and Mike Pence. Just think of what the left is going to do with artificial intelligence as we get into the closing weeks of a campaign. Uh, that's another, I mean, that's a subject not simply for a segment on the Bauer and Rose show, Bauer and Rose podcast. That's the subject for a permanent daily podcast, the dangers posed by it, the opportunities posed by it. Um, It's an entirely new, it's, I guess, the digital equivalent of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in that we've now gone from conventional digital technology to nuclear digital technology. And just as in 1945, we were unsure what that future would behold, I think that's where we are with AI. Um, Its dangers are manifold. We can't control a lot of this. Um, But, I mean, there are also opportunities, right? There are medical advances, things like that. The question is... And I, I think we miss this, and, and we might want to revisit this issue when we've uh, actually know something about uh, it. prepared for it, Gary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that preparation is greatly <laughs> overestimated, Tom. I that's that's what I use for my hemorrhoids preparation. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> okay. I, no, sorry. our conversation. Uh, I was commenting. I got, I got, I got a rose warning because I referenced the physical condition of Janet Yellen, and Tom's response to all that is to immediately go to him in prep H. I don't know. I, uh, well, I mean, look, a truth is a truth is a defense. I think the problem, and we can get back into this when we've thought about it some more. All of our discussions are among ourselves about AI. When the fact is, AI is a technology that can be used and exploited by countries, people's interests that are not necessarily our own. We can talk all day about its dangers, how to regulate it, how not to regulate it. I'm not sure that the CCP or the North Koreans or the Iranians will abide by our uh, interpretations of what the dangers and opportunities of AI are. I can't begin to discuss or describe this in any greater detail because I don't know any more about this than anybody else. Well, I know enough to make this point, which is what really scares me. And that is, Tom, that just as Google ideologically screens your searches 
So if you're actually looking for things to help make a conservative argument, or you're trying to retrieve something that was a conservative event that happened, I don't mean a meeting, I mean some uh, confrontation, some event of some sort that helps make a conservative narrative, you can't find these things. They, they dis- they've disappeared down the memory hole. It's like the old Soviet Union when there'd be a picture of the reviewing mm-hmm. stand at the May Day parade. And when a particular person in the Soviet government was out of favor, he would be no longer in the picture. I mean, he literally was removed from the photo. Right and out. people would be brought shoulder to shoulder where he stand, right? So the communist Chinese who are all in on AI have already put a directive out that all people involved in China with programming the artificial intelligence must program it to support socialism and communism and Maoism, or you will be thrown in prison for life. Now, here's what we'll do. We'll have the likes of the people that run everything now, the universities, uh, a lot of our courts, um, the the media generally, Hollywood, they, in the name of protecting democracy, will program AI to do the exact opposite. You know, that's what they're doing now. They're silencing us. They're censoring us. They're stopping our ability to organize by saying we are a threat to democracy. So they're going to program this so... Uh, AI will be the nth degree propaganda vehicle that will make it impossible for somebody to even get the information they need to be a conservative or to be pro-life or to be for religious liberty, et cetera, et cetera. I'll jump ahead of the queue on this. And again, uh, the disclaimer that I'm, I'm hardly schooled on this issue, the talk about you know, how we mitigate the risks or the dangers of AI, develop, you know, national regulations, create organizational standards, make AI a part of, you know, company cultures. That's all well and good, but that's here. The real danger right now today, I think the immediate danger is AI capabilities for surveillance. Now, what we see in China this dystopian future that I fear is in store for us because as we speak, the WHO in Switzerland is talking about global surveillance technologies using the shield of uh, healthcare and immunization as the ticket. If you look at China today, China, according to Forbes, China just crossed the 1 billion mark in terms of closed circuit TV cameras. Now, those closed-circuit TV cameras input their data into this massive, gigantic database that can track every, almost every single person in the country in real time. They can click on a face, and immediately now, they'll have the entire uh, protocol, the entire biography, spending patterns, spending histories. you got one credit card in China, the WeChat... Right. WeChat. When I go to the drugstore and I buy antibiotics, it's on the list. When I buy a newspaper, it's on the list. They know everything you do. They know where you are at every single moment. 
that is the elixir. That is the secret potion to permanent totalitarian control. It makes 1984, it makes George Orwell and Winston Smith seem like things from the past. The futures are so discordant with the reality that we've liked to... uh, paint as a picture of, of, of where we're going. I mean, Elon Musk, who is not shy uh, and has a great deal invested in AI, says it scares the living hell out of him, that there's no yeah. telling what it can do or where it can go. Yeah. Well, com- communist China is going to third world countries uh, and saying to them, we can install a system like this in your capital and in your other key cities so you can keep an eye on your population which is our model that works very well, and it'll work for you too, Nigeria or whatever the country is. But in exchange for that, we want access to your mines, to your oil resources. We want a port. Uh, if you're an African nation, you know, that has a, a on the coast, et cetera. So they're already, they're already exporting this vision. Uh, during their protracted COVID shutdowns, there was social unrest in a number of Chinese cities. Uh, I've already almost forgot about it, Tom, because it, you know, it seemed to be building up some momentum and then it just kind of petered out. And later I read some articles that said that, uh, you know, there was some show of police force, but not the overwhelming kind of Tiananmen Square kind of stuff that you would have expected. But what they were doing was they were with this elaborate, uh, video, uh, monitoring system, they were taking tens of thousands of real of, of photos of everybody that was demonstrating, and then they were matching that with their data bank, their data banks, right? So then, after the cameras, after the media was gone, with the extent there was media, um, knock, knock, knock. And the Chinese citizen opens the door and there's somebody there from state security and they say, uh, we have a video of you at the demonstration last night at the such and such mall. Uh, you've now been confined to this five block area. Uh, your daughter, if there's another incident like this, will not be able to go to university and you will not get your rationing this week of food for your building during COVID. And then a couple days later, people are commenting, wow, the, the demonstrations have less people at them now because all the oppression took place under you know, the cover of night. It's a surveillance state unlike anything the world has ever seen. Hundreds of billions of dollars to hardwire the entire country into this futuristic high-tech reconnaissance apparatus designed not just to crush dissent, Gary, but to prevent it from happening in the first place. Any kind of dissent, political dissent, economic, cultural, religious. The problem here, and thanks to President Trump and Vice President Pence and and, uh, our team, um, we began to put breaks on U.S. technology companies from providing some of these systems to China. I mean, China, the police in China are now able to pull up these, these feeds from China's, you know, one billion surveillance cameras and at, at these arbitrary checkpoints that are all over the country, they can automatically 
demand blood samples from you, fingerprints, voice recordings, even iris scans from anyone trying to, to, to pass through. And the only reason I'm harping on this is because for those folks who are rolling their eyes, you know, there goes Bauer, there goes Rose again with their conspiracy theories, everything that China has done is something that I genuinely fear could happen here. The country issues the state uh, ID cards that are required to buy everything from phones to, to cutlery to knives and forks. And now that, that China has become the world's first, and people don't realize this, they think it's in advance, uh, cashless society. Everything everybody buys, I just mentioned, automatically entered into their electronic profile. So officials can call at any time uh, for any reason uh, upon a person's background. Did they go to the wrong church? Did they go to the wrong mosque or the Buddhist temple? I mean, you know, we've stopped talking about the Uyghur encampments, um, but China's uh, internment of Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang, which is the westernmost province of China, this is the largest uh, uh, forced incarceration of civilians since the end of the war. China, they destroy hundreds of churches a year, they shutter thousands more. They literally destroy hundreds, and then they put bars on thousands. China formally, officially bans kids from attending uh, Christian worship. And last year alone, I guess this is 2021, um, I think more than 100,000 Christians were arrested for the crime of going to church. Uh, all, the, all the churches that register with the government are required to place cameras in the front of the church that videos everybody that is coming into the service. So, I mean, right there, you're, you, you know, you, you can see how, how this works. Now, you know, you're, you're right. Pete, some people are probably rolling their eyes. Tom, we've already had in the United States and a couple of American cities, including uh, a Texas city. And I forget which one, um, where a a mayor of the city, of course, a liberal Democrat mayor of the city, uh, was demanding to see copies of the sermons that were being preached at local churches who were known to oppose the LGBTQ public policy agenda. Because, the mayor said, we have reason to believe you are in violation of our anti-discrimination laws. And so we want to see the sermons in order to determine whether we should bring charges against you. That was right here in the United States. And now there was a big outcry and, uh, you, you know, the, the mayor had to back off. But there's already calls on the left in the United States uh, that children should not be exposed to Christian teachings uh, you know, before X age. These are the same people, by the way, arguing that children at the age of 10 should have the right to get, uh, you know, uh, uh, powerful chemicals that will sterilize them and disfiguring surgery to cut off their body parts. But you better not be allowed to show them a Bible. Uh, I, I would kind of laugh, Tom, the, um, the legislature in Texas uh, a week or so ago uh, to their credit, passed a, a, a bill that says that if the local school board votes and says it's okay, um, a, a school, along with hiring counselors, can hire uh, chaplains uh, to also counsel 
students. And the, the Democrats in the state legislature in Texas who want to cut parents out of the decision of whether a 13-year-old should get an abortion or not, the decision or not of whether uh, an 11-year-old boy should be castrated, that the parents should have nothing to say about that, uh, it, it amended this law that, to say that the child would not be allowed to actually see the chaplain and meet with the chaplain unless they brought a, sly, a signed permission slip from their parents. Well, here's here's a question for you, Bauer. I think I know the answer to set up. Um, Christianity is in in I think undisputed decline in America and throughout the West. Yet in communist China, it's thriving as never before. At the time of the Chinese Revolution, 1949, there were an estimated 400,000 Christians in China. Today, despite 74 years of concerted state-controlled efforts to crush the church, there are more than 100 million Christians in China. There has never before in the history of the church um, been a more rapid decline, or a rather rapid rise, explosive growth in the history of the church. It's without precedent. Now, the harder the communist state works to suppress the church, the more rapidly it seems to grow. Why in totalitarian, dystopic China is the church expanding at a rate never seen in, a, in the 2,000-year history of your faith, Gary? It's, it's unprecedented. Um, why is that happening in China when in America uh, it seems to be in decline? That's a great question, Tom. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, uh, things one can surmise. Some of them are theological. Some of them are human nature. Um, you, you know, what's the human nature aspect of that? I don't get well, that. Well, the human nature is that um, the the Judeo-Christian cultural milieu was so strong in America that if you were born in, you had the good fortune to be born in this country in a, you know, in a typical American city with typical American parents, the default position was you would embrace that Judeo-Christian worldview in, in most cases. Uh, you were likely to be brought to church by your parents or a relative, uh, um, you, you would be moved uh, emotionally by hearing Christmas carols or wh- whatever. Uh, the, the result is there were a lot of people that never had to, to be theologically serious about their faith because as long as they could remember, they were a Christian. You know, it's just, it's just part of the, the thing. It's, it's being in America. So when uh, in a situation like that, um, you, you know, let me add one other thing. If you, if you were uh, a real estate agent or an insurance salesman or ran a local store, uh, in addition to wanting to go to church to worship God, it was a smart thing to go to church. 
Because, I mean, economically, it was a smart thing to go to church because you would see people and they would see you. And when they were thinking about where they were going to buy their mattress or their my pillow, uh, they would go to the place where, uh, you know, oh, John, I, I, he sits right in front of me at the First Baptist Church in Newport, Kentucky. I think I'll give him my business, right? It was, it was a smart thing to do. Somebody once said to me, Tom, that the only good thing about persecution is, you will find out very quickly who you went to church with that actually was a real believer and who was just there because it was the thing to do. Right, right. And we may be going through that right now. Um, okay, that was a fair answer. I think I got a better one. You want to okay. hear mine? Uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. I do want to hear yours. Um, that a civilization can only be as strong as its faith as a culture grows old and tired and people borrow more and save less, um, as we prioritize today's fun over tomorrow's needs, we begin as a society to lose our beliefs that made us strong in the first place. Will Durant, who wrote, and I think I sent you his 11-volume story of civilization. Uh, I know, Tom, but... Is hold on, hold on. Let me finish. I let you ramble. Set. <laughs> I let you ramble. Let, let me just, I got one more I'm sentence. Not, I'm sorry. Go on. No, no, no. I was just going to say, Will Durant, and this was, he, this was the totemic history of civilization by one guy. Spent his entire life, 11 volumes. Don't leave Ariel. Oh, you're Rob. I'm sorry, no. Ariel. Absolutely. That was a big mistake. I terribly, I apologize. Anyway, um, he, in the story of civilization, the very first book, he argues that uh, the decline of a civilization starts with the decline of its values and then seeps into religion and intellectualism and all that kind of stuff. And then he has a quote, and I got it written down here. In the end, a society and its religion tend to fall together like a body and soul in a harmonious death. And... My addendum to that is that in China, hundreds of millions of Chinese are seeking a new life, a new faith, a new civilization. Not that they don't have one that's magnificent and 4,000 years old, but over the past 75 years, under the jackboot of, of communist tyranny, uh, that's been uh, ripped away from them. So I think that might have a a key role in the differences between why faith in China is exploding and why faith in America, uh, to say the least, is not. Yeah, you know, there's another uh, sorry example of all this, Tom, which is the uh, how uh, the, the church, particularly Catholicism, uh, thrived in Poland under communism. It didn't thrive openly, it thrived beneath the surface. I mean, the communists had fake churches in Poland, just like they did everywhere, where the, the priest was actually working for the communist government and not for the souls of his congregation. But so the more that they tried to persecute the Catholic Church in Poland, the more Catholics in Poland cling to their faith. And it only took, you know, Pope, uh, uh, John Paul to appear on the scene to light the match 
of, of a great uprising in, in Poland that, that, thank God, did not turn violent, that, but it was ready. So, so then they throw out communism and there's freedom of religion. And in just a couple of generations, um, Poland's, you know, and legalizing abortion, uh, um, you know, widespread pornography, uh, uh, church attendance is actually dropping. Now, it still stands out compared to a lot of the other wastelands in the West. Uh, because the remnant there is bigger than it than it is in most places. But the church, uh, I, I, again, I don't mean to interrupt. Um, I will push back. Uh, the church is as strong in Poland today as I think it is anywhere in the world. You have the left in Poland. Poland has a liberal left in the EU, which is far left and trying to stifle. Trying, po- yeah. Right. Trying to stifle Poland at every turn. Uh, Poland is as Catholic as, as the Pope. Yeah, I, I'm just talking about some of the trends there. Yeah, um, sure you were. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you, you know, and, and of course, Hungary is a great, is a great example of, of keeping the faith, right, where you have a Hungarian leader that just is very open about it. He says, we are a Christian nation. I, I mean, it's, we have no desire to be anything else. So we're not going to let into Hungary uh, countless people from other cultures. There's other places they can go, not here. And they, they, you know, these countries are being uh, clobbered by uh, the European Union and by the United States. Of course, by the way. absolutely. You know? um, yeah, Tom, I, I marvel. There's been multiple uh, incidents of what's happened to Coptic Christians in the Middle East in Egypt and elsewhere, uh, where, you know, they, they're terribly persecuted. And I remember an, an incident, uh, a couple of years ago where a bus was stopped and, um, by radical, uh, Islamists. Everybody on the bus was, uh, a Christian on their way to observe some Christian, uh, holy day. They were ordered off the, br- the bus. And they were told to uh, renounce Christ uh, and I- accept Islam, and um, or, or they would be killed. And they they refused, and so they started killing them. And you would think, well, under that circumstance, you know, maybe people would kind of uh, you know lie about accepting Islam. But but instead, people uh, broke out in hymns. They they sang hymns while they were being killed. Uh, oh, you know, oh, to see that kind of courage in the American church, uh, that, that, you know, in, in many cases crawled away whimpering when, uh, some two bit governor or mayor ordered them to shut their doors during COVID. Um, I mean, there were even churches, you know, that, well, th- there were some that stood up. And, and by the way, Tom, this is very interesting. A lot of the churches that shut down during COVID have still not gotten back to their previous attendance. Of course not. And the churches that stayed open during COVID at, and, and paid a terrible price for doing that, being fined hundreds of thousands of dollars. In some cases, their preachers being thrown in jail. Those churches have 
massively grown since the end of the pandemic. Tom, let me tell you one quick story. And I know we've gone far afield, but this is what we do on this podcast. It's a tribute to our wide range of knowledge, Tom. No, it's a tribute to Bauer's inability to stay on script. Yeah. And thank heavens for that. Otherwise, Uh, this would be the most boring podcast in all podcasting. There was a a church in California uh, that that the, uh, the, the state or the city told them that if they continued to have services on Sunday, uh, they were going to arrest the first 500 people that tried to go into that church. So the next morning, and the, the church announced they were going to be open. Next morning, the pastor got up, uh, said to his wife, I, well, I don't know what's going to happen, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm heading into the church. I'm going to go early. And, you know, I hope we've got some brave uh, people that are going to be there. And he gets there and to his shock, there's a line that goes several blocks and he's walking along the line saying, oh, thank you. Thank you for being here. And he's noticing he doesn't know any of the people in line. And he starts saying to people, I'm sorry. I'm glad you're here waiting for the doors to open. But Are you a regular attender? And what he discovered, Tom, was almost everybody in line were Christians who had driven there from other cities to be arrested first before the regular attenders at this church were arrested. Their churches had shut down. So they went to this church to defend it. What a show of faith, right? Uh, I'm a, so the, the church is being tested in America, Tom. I tell you what else is tested. Um, your patience and how much time we've got left. Our time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, we are out of it, but this was a delight. This is, you know, you come into a show with expectations. You're going to do this, this, and you end up talking about the church in China. I think it's great. Maybe this is why they don't pay us. (laughs) (laughs) Speak for yourself. I'm loaded. I'm getting loaded. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. I'd share something with you, but not a chance. Not a chance. Anyway, we got to run. Have a great couple days. We'll talk to you soon. This is the Bauer and Rose podcast on Sirius XM, Channel 125, The Patriot, and JustTheNews.com. See you soon.